I listen to the podcasts uh, on a run, um, and it's uh, the videos and the podcasts are great. Um, so we're going to look uh, at this book over the summer, and this book is a letter. Okay, um, a lot of that sort of middle chunk of the New Testament are letters, uh, primarily from Paul, but then there's some from John and Peter, and that he writes to other early Christians, early churches. Um, and sometimes I think we find the letters a little bit harder to get into. Some of us prefer the Gospels or, or other narrative story parts of Scripture because you, you get into a story, you can follow a story, and you get characters that can sort of hook you in and that they're interesting to follow. But the interesting thing about Galatians is there is some story underneath the letter. That's why Paul is writing this letter to these guys, because something is going on. There's some mad happenings in this early church. There's a story there, and Paul is writing as part of that story. So let me just show you a few quotes to, to give you the sense that actually Paul in this letter pretty much loses it. Paul gets really cross, um, really mad um, in the middle um, of what's going on here with this church, and he expresses it throughout his letter. So chapter one, the bit that William read for us, we see that Paul is surprised. He tells them, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting. Astonished. He's frustrated. By the time he gets to chapter four, he's sort of saying, well, where's your blessing of me? You know, this is pretty one-sided here. Where's your blessing of me now? He's frustrated with him. He's puzzled, perplexed, he says. And he's, I mean, he's pretty much just fed up. He calls them foolish. He's incredibly direct. And um, with them, telling them they're foolish for what they're about to do or in the midst of doing. And he's downright angry. Um, that classic phrase from chapter five, he says, I wish you'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And emasculation is pretty much the next step after circumcision in Paul's mind. And he says that because he is so angry. There is something going on here, something that is driving Paul mad. There is a story. So what is the story that is going on underneath um, this letter? What is happening in this early church? I don't know if you've ever um, heard a conversation, a telephone conversation um, that, that you're not part of. You're, you're, you're sort of a bystander. Perhaps uh, you're on a bus, because um, it's happened to be on a bus, and there's someone a few rows in front is having a phone conversation, and you hear them speak. But obviously you don't hear what they're listening to because that's in their ear. That's someone else speaking um, somewhere, somewhere else in the city or in the country. And um, so you only hear one side of the conversation. Now, I've, I've certainly had that experience um, on the bus from Letterkenny to Dublin. Uh, I used to get that bus quite a lot. If I was coming back early from Ruth's family up in Letterkenny, if I was coming back early, I'd, I'd get the bus back. The, the number 32 uh, expressway bus, I remember it well. Four and a half hours. And there's a couple of times when, you know, I'm sort of trying to settle in, maybe get some sleep or, or read something or listen to something. Um, and yet there's a conversation which seems like half the bus is listening to. And um, I do remember once in particular, the guy who was just maybe two rows in front um, who was talking to someone and he was pretty cross. And he was, I mean, I, I learned all about his family situation, what was going on with his partners, kids. He was just saying it all. So I was gaining this knowledge about the situation. Now, it's not the full story, because I don't know what he's hearing. I don't know what the other person is saying. I hear one side, but it gives me enough of a sense as to what is going on in this place. And this is what it's, it's like for us reading one of these letters. Okay, We get to hear one side of the conversation. It 
Paul doesn't have a mobile. He's writing a letter. So we get to hear that side. We don't know from the other side, but it gives us enough of a sense. And so what do we pick up from Paul's letter? From just sort of maybe scanning through its six chapters, we're going to go through them step by step over the next few weeks. But as an overview, what do we pick up? And it seems that circumcision is central. That is a big part of what's going on in this story. We know that from how often Paul mentions it. The 16 times he has to mention this word. And so it's clearly a huge part. And in in chapter five, he talks of how they are considering it. If you let yourselves be circumcised. So obviously this is a live discussion in the church. And some of them maybe have been circumcised and some of the others are thinking about it. It's happening right now. They're talking about it. They're facing decisions about it, but they're doing it under duress. There are people trying to compel them. That's what the little video got across when sort of talking and relating it to the book of Acts as well, that there was people coming in, a group from outside the church coming in, trying to compel you to be circumcised. They were under compulsion to do this religious practice of circumcision. And when they give this story of Peter in chapter two, it talks about Peter was afraid. Afraid of this group, the the circumcision group, they call it those who are trying to compel, telling them that they must do that. So circumcision is definitely central to what's going on here. You must be circumcised. That's what you have to do. That has to be part of your faith. Now, the intriguing bit as we read it is that the people who are doing it also seem to be followers of Jesus. It's not that they're um, complete outsiders, complete, you know, still Jewish um, believers entirely. They do have some sense of following Jesus. They talked about the gospel. Because Paul, when he's responding, he talks about how that's actually a different gospel. That's not the gospel or our gospel. It's another gospel, a different gospel. And they also seem to talk of Christ and the cross because at the end when when paul is finishing up his letter in chapter six he he talks about how they um were trying to avoid being persecuted for the cross of christ that's you know why they're being circumcised so that the jews wouldn't come after them and persecute them talking about this this group of outsiders but it shows that the cross and jesus christ were part of their faith so what we had were People who were followers of Jesus, were Christians, part of that movement in some way, but were trying to compel and force circumcision. I'm going to call it Jesus plus. Jesus plus. They they talked of Jesus. They talked of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. They were into Jesus. They were following Jesus. They didn't seem that there was an argument about that, saying that Jesus wasn't important. What they were doing is they were adding on to the good news of Jesus. It was Jesus plus, Jesus plus something else. For them, it was Jesus plus circumcision. Mentioned 16 times. Yes, follow Jesus, but you must be circumcised also. Jesus plus. It's circumcision for them was this religious practice, something that you must do, something that must be added to the faith. You must follow this practice, this tradition of our ancestors as well as believing in jesus and his life and death and resurrection so i guess the question for us as we're going to go through this book is is what is the plus for us 
because I'm pretty sure as we look around, there's not many in our church, uh, certainly in Dublin West, uh, but in, in the broader church in, in Dublin and in Ireland who are telling people to get circumcised. That was what it was for them 2,000 years ago. That was the plus, the thing that's added on that you must do. But now I think there's other things. What are they? What could they be? I think they could be all sorts of things for us today. They can be, they can be moral things. You must behave in this way. You must do this. You must live like this, about behavior. Or it can be about belief or doctrine. You must believe X, Y, and Z. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus, you have to believe these things. Or it can be about your spirituality or how you practice your faith. That's a little bit like maybe circumcision for them, but spirituality can be about you, you must pray in this way or you must always um, attend church services or else you're not really a Christian if you're not there all the time. Anything like that is adding something to Jesus. You must do this. Now, we, we sort of got to be careful and un, un, unpack this a little because obviously a lot of those things are good. There's things that we should believe. You know, there's ways that we should behave. There are teachings of Jesus that we should follow. He encourages us to pray and he gives us an example of how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. So there are things that we should do. As followers of Jesus, we should follow the way of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. That, that's just obvious. But it doesn't mean that it's essential to be part of the family of God. That's the big thing. To be part of the family of God, to be a Christian, to be a true follower, it's not a requirement. It is not Jesus plus. Um, we had a, a good day yesterday um, as a family. It was a nice sunny day, um, so that always helps. Um, but I'm pretty sure I know that the favorite part of my day um, was going down to watch Castlenock Celtic under eights. And I think I mentioned this maybe in the breakout room last week to a few people when we were chatting. Um, it was last week, Senna made his debut um, for the under eights, and he had a second game uh, yesterday. So we all went up again, uh, including the dog, uh, up to Porterstown at half ten to watch him. Um, and I just enjoy watching him. Now, it's funny sort of being on the sideline. You're sort of aware of all these... Um, stereotypes of competitive dad syndrome and all this and you can hear a few dads who are shouting instructions and um, and there's definitely things that you know I could say to Senna and, and I do say to Senna times. I mean I've been watching him now for since September going to to training twice twice a week and at the start he just did not pass the ball he was constantly just just trying to run himself with the ball and you know he's he's fast so he get past the first guy sometimes the second but Pretty rare to get past three guys, but he would just keep on going and eventually get tackled. Constantly you'd hear people going, pass then and pass then, and he'd never pass. So so as his dad, you know, coming home after training, I, I, I would say that. I'd say, did you think about passing there? Did you listen to the coach say, you know, and have these little chats? I want to teach him. I want him to, to grow in his game. I might take him out and, you know, practice just passing or shooting because... So he'll strike the ball a bit cleaner, a bit better. He needs to develop. He's, he's definitely not the complete player at age seven. So, so I try those things. I speak and I practice with him. But he's always my son. You know, I, I say those things to him. And I want to encourage him and help him and at times challenge him to grow in that. But he's always my son. That's never in doubt. That's never going to change. 
In fact, I know that watching uh, the side of the game that, you know, the things I say are, are really just to encourage. I'm sort of clapping and, and sharing more than giving instruction. It was funny when Mary did her um, contemplative slot there, the Lectio Divina, the word that struck out for me was delight. Delight, God speaking about his servant who, when we get to the New Testament, we see that that servant is Jesus and God just has delight in Jesus. And I was just thinking that, you know, in some way that is true of us because we are in Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are in him. We're united to him. And so God just has delight in us. Yes, he wants us to believe certain things in Jesus' teaching. He wants us to follow his teaching and live it out in different ways. And, and at times we need to be challenged and commanded to do that. But we're always part of God's family. God always has delight in us as his children. And you see, that's why Paul gets so mad here. That's why Paul gets so riled up. Is because if you make some of these things requirements to be part of the family of God, if they're like an entrance requirement, an entrance exam, that you've got to do this to become part of the church, part of the family of God, to be a follower of Jesus, then you're adding to the gospel. You've gone to Jesus plus. And Paul says, if you do that, you lose everything. If you add something to Jesus, the irony is that you lose Jesus in some way. You lose everything. When Paul starts his letter in verse 6, he has this extraordinary couple of verses. Such strong language. This is normally the part in the letter, if you read Paul's other letters to the Colossians and the Philippians and these other guys, where he gets into this thanksgiving and he tells them, you know, I'm so grateful for you. And, and that's just part of the culture that you, you start off nicely. Um, not here. You are deserting the one who called you. You are turning to a different gospel. They're deserting God. To go into this Jesus plus, to add something to the story of Jesus like this, is actually to desert God. It's extraordinarily strong language. Now, it might actually, you might be a little bit taken aback at how strong that is. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in sort of both-and thinking. I was having a, a chat with um, someone a few weeks ago um, about something, and, and we were trying to sort of get to the nub of an issue, and, and the person was like, well, you know, in, in a lot of the cases, it's, it's both-and. It's not just, you know, X or Y. It's both them together. And I'm like, I'm fully into both-and thinking. That is me, you know? But if you want to... If you wanna, get fit and get trim, then it's not thinking about, do I need to exercise more or do I need to eat healthier food? It's, it's both and, it's both exercise and diet. Or you're, you're having um, a chat about, you know, how do great footballers be made or, or Nobel Prize winners? Is it, is it nature or is it nurture? Is it in their genes or is it the, the culture and parental influence they had from an early age? It's both and. Most, a lot of those cases, it's, it's both that. Or as um, Peter on numerous times will tell me that when you order dessert in a restaurant and you're saying, yeah, I want the apple pie or the cheesecake, whatever it is. And, and the waitress says, would you like cream with that? Or do you want ice cream with that? It can be a both and. Let's just get both. Both and thinking, it seems generous, doesn't it? Not here. 
Paul is saying not here. This is different. This is an either or case. It's not both and. All you need is Jesus. That's all you need. The gospel is Jesus. The good news is Jesus. His person, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's him. And to become a Christian is to believe in him, to follow him, and you become united to him and his story. And that's it. He's done it all, 100% him. And what Paul is saying here is that, you know, we do nothing. It's all Jesus and his story, 100%. If we add something to that, we end up losing everything. Deserting God, turning to a different gospel. We add something on and we lose it all because the focus switches. There's this verse in Galatians, I think it's probably the most profound um, I think maybe Steve Brockwood signed up for that week. I'm trying to think. It's, it's in chapter 5, verse 2. We'll get to it sort of end of July or August, something like that. And it says, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. The thought of a valueless Christ. Jesus plus, you add something to the good news, like circumcision for that church, and you end up losing everything, losing Christ. So what Paul is saying is that trust or faith is unidirectional. Today's Father's Day, and one of the great, you know, constant jokes about men is that men can't multitask. And I am a living example that men cannot multitask, okay? We can't do two or three things at the same time. Just let me focus on one thing. Paul is saying that we can't multitrust. We trust, have faith, depend on one thing, and that is Jesus. And to switch to our religious activities, our religious practices, our religious beliefs, any of those things, is to take the focus off who Jesus is and what he has done. Just stay with Jesus. That's all you need. That's all you need. And so that's why Paul gets so mad here at the start and throughout the letter, is the dangers of a Jesus Plus movement. It actually, you lose Jesus when you do Jesus Plus. In our reading at the start, he, he says, let them be accursed. Anyone who does this, anyone who compels you to be circumcised, anyone who's preaching this different gospel to you, let them be cursed. Twice he says, it's not a, like he's, he's just lost the run of himself. He, he means that he's giving a warning of how serious this is, that God's wrath should come upon that person. This is serious. Because ultimately, he says, it is no gospel at all. It is not good news to believe in Jesus plus, to add something, to say you must do this because ultimately it places a burden on us. It's not good news. It's not this announcement of this great news anymore because it's a burden of we have to live up to something, something religious or spiritual that we must do. We don't, we don't have to do anything. The good news is Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. And that's all that we need. So I sort of want us to drive that home over, over the next few months into our lives. I think there's things at times that we think about our faith or that we feel that, that can reveal to us at times that we, we do some of this thinking has seeped into us. If you ever 
feel a bit of shame or guilt about your Christian life? Where does that come from? What does that mean? Do you ever have that sense of, you know, I'm not a good enough Christian? I'm not very good at this. Well, the scriptures don't speak of good Christians and bad Christians. They just speak about people who are cleansed by Jesus, people who are wiped clean by Jesus, who are forgiven and accepted into God's family because of Jesus. How bad you were or how unclean or dirty you were, stained you were, is never the question. We're welcomed in by Jesus. Sometimes we, we feel this bitterness. Something maybe has, has, has gone deep within into our faith because we feel that God should have done this or God owed me this and my life hasn't turned out this way. As if how we've lived and how faithful we've been has obligated God to do something. But it doesn't work like that. God just loves us and blesses us because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So let me just finish by saying on, on Father's Day, you are in. You're in the family. You're in the family of God. You're brothers and sisters in the family of God and a child of the living God, all because of Jesus. And that's it. Amen.